This podcast is brought to you by absolutely no one. The Bald and the Beautiful Podcast with Dave Vella. Who the hell is Dave Vella? Beautiful people, thanks for joining me. My guest today is an Australian singer-songwriter who took the music industry by storm with the release of his first signed album. It went to number one in the charts. In fact, he has had three albums go to that top position. But even after the massive success of that first offering, he didn't quite understand what the fuss was all about. And he couldn't even bring himself around to listening to the album for eight years. I caught up with him for a coffee and a bit of a chat, and he talks about the fear that surrounded him when it came time to record the album, the fear of not being ready. It was interesting to listen to how his first big hit wasn't even finished by the time he got into the studio, and that it was basically just put together on the spot. He explains the process that it went through to become a song that was played literally everywhere around Australia. We discuss fatherhood, staying relevant in a changing world, and of course, a lot of my chats somehow come back to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Please welcome the man with the beautiful lyrics and the beautiful songs, well I should say so beautiful, Mr. Pete Murray. Yeah, it's a crazy time over in America. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're living here. Although all this COVID stuff and you know what's been going on with these rallies and these riots, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? It's a very weird year. Yeah, 2020. I know, look, even for the music industry, it's been tough because, as you know, mate, we, and music industry is an industry that's been helping so many um, people throughout the years and charities and, and yeah. you know, everyone that's been hard times has been and they raise a lot of money. And now the, the industry's we've just been big time. Yeah. You know, we can't. Um, we can't do any shows. I have to wipe out a whole year's worth of work. Next year, we're hoping that we can do some do some shows. Um, but the restrictions on that, I think, you know, there's only so many in a venue that you can have, and you've still got to have, you know, 1.5 distance, yeah. which is pretty pretty hard, hard. to do. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's definitely tough times for us, and it's not not just myself. I mean, I kind of feel like I'm lucky. I've, we've had some success, so I can I can have the time off, and I'm not too bad. Even though you just well, at the moment, I'm just seeing money going out. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. coming back in. Yeah. But it's the guys that work day to day, week to week, they're the ones that are really struggling in the music industry. Yeah, the grassroots musicians yep. that um, are suffering. And from what I understand, you know, that whole JobKeeper thing that mm-hmm. went through with people obviously mm-hmm. being supported through the government with JobKeeper, yep. there was that big uproar from musicians and artists and, mm-hmm. you know, um, smaller time actors that um, have been unable to get the JobKeeper. Yeah, I'm not under- I don't understand how that works. And uh, the government... Um, Especially the Liberal government don't really recognise um, the the arts mm. uh, as a as a business, you know. Mm. But they earn so much money for the government every year, and I think the problem that we have being in the arts is we um, we we raise so much money. You earn so much money from us, the money that we bring in, give it back, mm. give it back in form of grants or whatever you need to do. Now's the time to yeah. actually start to. to and, and when there's t- like as you said, when there's times of struggle in Australia, whether it's drought, famine something bad goes wrong, mm-hmm. it's the musos that come together and have these, you know... Well, we're the, we're the, actually, we're the first people that Absolutely. get asked to do something. Yep. Uh, yep. We're the first people to go, okay, let's let's do this, because we know everyone loves music. It brings people together. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, and but no one questions it. No, everyone just like, let's just go there and get involved. And, you know, there's no egos when it comes to 
those sorts of festivals that we that we you yeah. know go yeah. and do. I've been involved in a couple of big ones. Wave Aid, two thousand four. Yeah, that's right. After the tsunami. Yeah, yeah. that was a that was a great one um, to go on with Sydney Cricket Ground. It was like fifty thousand people wow. there, um, yeah. and I was only kind of just starting at that stage. So. To be going, I think twelve months earlier, I was probably playing to thirty people in a little pub in in um, in Melbourne, you know, and that yeah. was that's a good crowd, yeah. thirty people, you know. I'd yeah. be stoked to get that. Um, then we had, you know, success came so quickly. Yeah. <coughs> was, well, once Feeler came out, Feeler was it just catapulted, didn't it? It's crazy, man. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought Feeler was, I thought, I thought I'd stuffed it up. I thought, you know, I had the chance to do this, and I didn't. I just didn't think Feeler was, you know. Sounding great at all. I don't know if you heard the story, but I didn't listen to that album for eight years. Really? I couldn't because I, I I hated it. I couldn't even after the success. Yeah, I couldn't stand it. I just it was a weird thing. I went through this. Um, you know that that's the the main song of that feeler mm-hmm. is just one that is entrenched in every Australian's mind. Well, you know when when that um, came out too, there was such a different sound to anything else that was Absolutely, that was around, yeah. and that's I think what what made that such a um, successful album. Um, and I remember when when that happened, you know, uh, there was the um, tri- Triple J got onto it. Well, Triple <coughs> J were the ones that really pushed it, weren't they? Yeah, it was it was pretty big. I think in the hottest one hundred, it came in number twenty or something. Yeah. that year, which was pretty good. I and mean, you know, I don't I don't write hit songs or singles, if you know what I mean. I kind of write, tend to write albums. So for me, that um, any song that gets into a you know a top. 100 or 20 or 10 whatever it's like that's a big deal you know because i just yeah. don't ever expect it to happen but it did when that took off it just suddenly crossed from triple j and then all the commercial stations wanted it but i i mean i was glad it took off because i was definitely shooting myself for a long time because i thought this is it you know i was 32 when that came out yep and uh, i thought you know i can't even have i don't even have enough money to even buy lunch for myself you know yep. and um i was Really, I thought that was it, and I and I actually started to, I enrolled or started to enroll back into college to finish off my natural medicine studies because I thought this music's not going to happen, and uh, I started to do, go back that avenue again. Even after the Feeler album, it, it hadn't come out at this stage. Okay, uh, but I started to look at you know getting back into into finishing off my studies because that's what I thought. Always have a plan B in yep. place. Yeah, I didn't think music was going to work, but then yeah, something exploded. So we went from playing to, you know, plays as I had this little residency in. Um, the provincial hotel in, in um, on Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, uh, where I mean, um, if I get ten people, that was good. But if I remember getting thirty people one night, thinking, "Wow, wow I've made it! This is huge!" <laughs> yeah, I'm a massive artist right now. Yeah, uh, and then you know, within six months, I was playing, um, you know, festival hall in um, in Melbourne, and so we, I remember we came up here and we played Splendor, and it was just this. Buzz that was just so big at the time, and mm-hmm. you know. And I remember talking to uh, one of the guys on Channel V, um, Andrew G. Andrew, Andrew G. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. Andrew G. Back then. Yeah. And he said, "Mate, I've been out and, I, uh, and I've talked to people in the crowd to see who they want to see today." And he said, "I kid you not, every single person is here to see you play." And I was like, "Wow!" I was still kind of getting used to this whole thing. Was yeah. what was happening? I was like, "Wow, really?" I thought he was joking. He was like, no, no, it, it, every single person's here to see you because it's a new act, you know. Yeah. When you need the new act and no one's seen you before, it's just, there's yeah. a lot of excitement. So it was an amazing show to come out because the, the tent was just so full and there was just, you know, people sprawling out the sides. You, you couldn't yeah. see, you know, the sky or the land or whatever. It's just that, that many people. So you going from that to, like I say, 30 crowd, 30 to this, and then we played, um, you know, getting on the bill with the Wave Aid where you've got the, the Finn Brothers. Midnight Oil, yep. Powderfinger, 
You, um, you really went from zero to hero pretty quick. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. And then we're playing, you know, like to fifty thousand people at the SCG, yeah, which is amazing. Unreal. It's funny, you know, when I when I went down to an Aria Awards uh, nomination day, and <clears throat> it's the first time that um, we, I think, the songs had just had only just started coming out, you know, and and feel it probably I think it had taken off at that stage, but I remember. Um, being there with other artists, uh, you know, the Powderfinger Boys were there and something for Kate and whoever else it was, you know, and I remember they said, oh, let's all get together and let's get a photo of you guys. And I'm standing there going, oh, I wasn't moving because I'm going, oh, yeah, let's just let those guys go and get a photo of all the artists. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I'm standing there going, hey, Pete, jump in. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, that's right. And I, I just felt so out of place because yeah. I'm like, I shouldn't be with these guys, you know. It was yep. a weird, weird feeling for me to have that. Um, suddenly be standing with these other guys that I really respected mm. and uh, suddenly getting photos taken with them mm. um, So for, for media, which is a, yeah. a bit of a daunting thing as well. Mm. And ha looking back on that now, I mean, that's, what, 17 years ago? Yeah. Looking back on that now, how, how do, you, do, do you feel like you deserve your place in Australian music now? Uh, oh, it's a tough question. I think um, I've definitely done a lot of uh, hard work and yep. and given a lot of support to a lot of people. So I think, yeah, look, there's a, there's a place for me without a doubt. I think, you you know, I'm already written into the history books now. Yeah, you know, when absolutely. You, when you yeah. have success like that, people um, know your name. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I have people saying, comments about, you know, the song Better Days. Yep. There's there's uh, something out there where people go, how, how are you feeling? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit Pete Murray, meaning, you know, I've, I've seen Better Days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I saw that had a bit of a joke, you know, so yeah. you're already in the, um, I guess, in the history of, you know, of Aussie yeah. uh, fun, you know, and um, the culture. So, And what do you do to, because having success sort of that dramatically, and then having continued success. I mean, what you've had three albums hit number one, mm -hmm. and you're up to your seventh. You've done your seventh album. You're yeah, just done the seventh yeah. one now. Yeah, you know, like I think um, it's funny. You believe in in yourself and your music, mm. and you have to in anything, especially in the arts. You have to have self confidence, you know. Um, but at the same time, I talked about having a plan B. You know, yep. um, I believed and I always thought that this was going to work. I, I liked the music, um, and then what happened when Feeler came out. Um, which I'll talk about now. It came out, and I just—I don't know what happened, but I just—I didn't like it. Yep. I couldn't listen to it, and it's just that first time I just doubted myself. Mm. And I think we had—you um, know—I just—I thought it was going to fail, and I struggled to listen to it. Every time I put it on, I just—I hated listening to it. So I would get through—you know—I wouldn't even get through "Feeler," which was the first song, and I just turned yeah. it off, mm. and I couldn't listen to it. So for eight years later and I still hadn't listened to Feeler but Feeler had done these amazing things and everyone kept saying to me oh Feeler this Feeler that's my favourite album blah 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 you know and were you playing it at, at playing it live playing it live was different I yeah. could play the songs live and I loved it Yeah, okay. and that was a good vibe and you know you, we had thousands of people out there singing yeah. along um, I think that's the thing with my fan base they just they sing the lyrics back to me which mm. is which is an amazing feeling mm. so that was great but I still didn't under, understand the success and why Feeler was so popular I think uh, anyway look I I got a text message from Darren Middleton one day from Powderfinger. Um, it just said, hey, just listen to Feeler. What a great album. And I remember sitting there going, is it? <laughs> oh, wow. Is it that good? Yeah. And I went, you know what? I have to, I have to listen to this album. And it's killing me because I, I've never listened to it from start to finish in, in eight years. 
of all this through the success I've never played that album from start to finish I played bits and pieces and listened to mixes all the time <clears throat> to get it to where they are but you know as a body of work I just couldn't put it on mm. from start to finish so for the very first time I just went okay <clears throat> I'm going to listen to this put the headphones on and I'm not going to turn it off just as much as I I don't care how much I hate it I'm just going to listen to it from start to finish and I'm just going to let it go so the first time I listened to it without being critical of it without pulling it apart and going oh, I should have done that and this is not good enough and that should have changed and that's you know so I just sat there and relaxed and put it on from start to finish and at the end of it I just remember thinking wow actually that's that's I'm really proud of that mm. really happy and I just remember thinking yeah it's a really good good body of work and I can understand now why that connected to people because the lyrical content I think the emotion of the songs the way that I perform them working with Paul McKercher I had to call um Paul McKercher and apologise because I, I said some things in the media about him that who's Paul, who's Paul? Paul was the producer. Okay, and it's funny because when you know Paul um, had a few guys to choose from and I chose Paul because I liked the stuff he'd done before and the work he'd done with other Aussie artists and he's um, kind of more of a rock guy. Um, but you know Paul, I chose him. We had a chat and even before we went into the studio, I I. Um, I think I called the record label and said, I'm not ready to do this. This album's not ready to go. Uh, it's not good enough. And, and I need, we need to pull a pin. We're a week out from recording it. Wow. Yeah. And Cold so, feet. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And uh, actually, this is a story I've never told. Okay. Never said this. And I called the label and said, that's it. We've got to pull this because it's, I'm not ready to go. And the label said, no, no, you, the songs are good. This is good. You, you're right to go. You know, um, let's, uh, let's get Paul on the phone and I'll get Paul to have, have a chat to you and, and talk about this. So, um, Paul calls me, and I'm still, I'm just, I'm saying, look, mate, I'm, this isn't, I can't get in the studio. We're not ready to go. Because we'd also changed, so we had a, I had a Melbourne band. I moved to Melbourne from Brisbane. So the Brisbane guys had been playing with me for a couple of years up here, and we recorded all the demos with them. I recorded the independent album, The Game With Them, which is why I got signed to Sony from mm. the strength of that album. And we re-recorded a few songs off that album for, for Feeler. So, but I had these guys and I moved to Melbourne for um, 12 months and I was playing with some other guys who were kind of more jazz guys. And Paul, I call him Kirsch, Paul McKirsch. So Kirsch was like, we've got to use a Brisbane band. And this was like, I think only a month out from recording Feeler. And he said, we've got to record the Brisbane band because that's the vibe that mm. we've, we've that's, you've got that. Where the jazz guys, you've been together with them for 12 months, but they don't have the feel of what this um, previous body work has. And we've got, that's where I feel you've got to go. And, and I was, so we, we went up to Brisbane um, and we recorded with the Brisbane band, which we haven't played together for a couple of years. So it was loose as shit. Mm. It, it's, it was pretty, I thought it was, wasn't that great. <laughs> Not that I was saying that to the guys, but it just, it took us a while to really gel, you know, and I, I remember that's what I think the fear came from that, going, yeah. this, we're not ready yeah. and, and this band's not ready and we can't do this. Anyway, Kirsch was on the phone, he said, listen, mate, the songs are there. You know, and he said, oh, I've got to tell you, every album that I, that I go into, I'm shitting myself. Mm. Oh, I get sick from nerves. And, and I, said, I said, that's how I'm feeling. And I said, I'm, I'm, you know, literally I can't sleep at night. And he said, don't worry, I feel the same. I'm not sure whether that was supposed to make me feel better. Or, you know. <laughs> and I was like, do you? Like, I'm trusting you. Like, you got to make this happen. And he was like, no, no, look, it'll work, but you're ready to go. And he had to talk me into it. Yeah. And uh, which I just forgot about this. Hey, And he was like, 
let's let's just do it. We, we're going to do it. It'll be fine. So we, we went in and the Brisbane guys came down to Melbourne and they all slept on the floor of my lounge room in the place I was renting in, in Melbourne. And, um, you know, we drove to the studio every day and, and put this album together. So how, how, how much rehearsal did you get with those guys before oh, you... We didn't. Yeah. We had, we had a weekend of demoing. Wow. And that was it. Yeah. So the guys are trying to remember the songs and, you know, put them back together. Mm. And, and even some of the new ones that I'd written, Feeler, for example, wasn't even finished it was, uh, as that v version of the song until we went into the studio. So Kirsch said to me, because oh, I had the song um, <coughs> written, but <coughs> I had the song written, but there was no um, real ending to it. Mm. And he, his idea was to, to say, look, I think this has a big, epic kind of rock ending to it massive kind of um, ending that goes away from this acoustic groove thing that you got going at, the, at yeah. the start and I'm like okay that sounds cool like you know how do we make that happen and he said well I don't know but let's just <laughs> <laughs> let's just try and work it out I'm going, oh shit okay right here so uh, <clears throat> we went from you know because the, the chords this is like riff and then you go to the chords for the chorus um but then we went to um, what happens at the end of the uh, the final um, chorus. It comes in a little keyboard solo, um, which was a new thing. And then we we had uh, just we hit open chords. So I go from like bar, uh, bar chords, which kind of keeps the song a little bit tighter and a bit neater until when you hit the big open um, uh, open chords. Yeah. You know, like the, the 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 C's and the F's and the D's and yeah. the big big open chords. And on the electric, it just starts going. You know, so the whole thing opens up but we we kind of mucked around with this in the studio we were doing this on the fly and a little bit I know Kirsch was recording it uh. so anyway we, we talked about this so Ben McCarthy was playing drums Christian Sargent was on sorry Christian Sargent was on drums Ben McCarthy was playing bass um, these guys like I said played with me for a long time so we sat there we discussed what this is going to roughly how this would work and we said, okay, let's just have a play, you know, and, and do this. So I just started, and um, this is how we recorded the song. Very first take, I went, all right, let's just go. So just the whole thing just went, fell together, and um, uh, Maka, who's playing bass, um, came in, drums. Just, there was nothing that we talked about other than just, this is how we're going to roughly do this. It just all gelled. Yeah, and we got the... Um, no one playing a keyboard solo, so we just kind of we uh, we did this whole part up until that point, and then we we stopped, and because we didn't really know where to take it, so then we talked about okay, let's get this second part. How do we do that? So then we basically, but little did I know that that first take from there to the end of the keyboard solo, or the beginning of the keyboard solo, was the keeper. And that's what was kept. That was, that was that's what we kept. Wow. Yeah. So in there, while we're doing this whole thing, we're just putting that together and talking about the ideas. Then we went to the next section, and um, uh, we had to do that again later. I think it might have even been the next day. We came in and and cursed. Um, so I remember on the on the headphones, he just went, "Yeah, I think we've got a keeper for that." I'm going, "What are you talking about? We're like, we're, just, we're working this one out." And he said, "No, no, you come and check this out." So we went into the studio and and, and just got this vibe, and it was like, "That's." so perfect and so raw and it's just so natural mm. and then at the end we had to tack on the you know the bigger dun, yeah, dun, big dun, yeah. yeah so we tacked that on at the end and it worked and it was just seamless you know mm. 
So um, is is part of maybe you talk about that fear of of not being ready, and and not wanting to go into the studio? Did a lot of the stuff that you wrote did it come pretty easy? Like was it sort of just did it sort of just flow? You know, some songs you write songs and it flows and it sort of just oh there it is. Most cases, good songs come easier than than, yeah. than the the, uh, the other ones. That did that album come pretty easy when you wrote it and you put it together? Well, it, that was probably written over a number of years. You know, when yep. I did the the game, yeah. Um, the game would have been. I think I started demoing for the game in about 1999 mm. or 2000, and we recorded that in 2001. Then we recorded Field in 2003. You know, like you said, you didn't listen to it for eight years. Mm. I'm just wondering whether it's because maybe because when you di- you know you said you recorded it and you, you you did it on takes that you didn't even think were going to happen you know mm-hmm. like it, it feels like they it came pretty natural to even put it together yep. and I'm just wondering were you thinking you know what maybe we could y- y- if you had that fear of maybe if we did it another couple of times I could have got it better maybe if I if, yeah. I if we spent another half a day on it I could have just well every artist is always striving for perfection yeah but there is no perfection no. And then the, the, the perfection is a good take and a good vibe, mm. and you know that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and the quality of, of the recording might not be the best, but it's the vibe. You've got to get the vibe right. And and moving forward now with you know now you've done seven albums, have you ever had that feeling again? Uh, not not like that. No. Yeah. Um, you know that was definitely um, I think for me pr- probably was what I just said. You know, having trying to make that. Um, because I, you know, this, I felt like it was one opportunity mm. that I had to make this work, and I felt like I'd failed. So I felt like that was it. I, I just didn't think Sony were going to give me another chance. Um, and I think that was the pressure. Um, so trying to make that perfect and the way that I wanted it, where I think, you know, Kirsch had this idea in his head that this is, and he was right because he's a producer, you know, and I think I was still learning the art of producing at that stage. I didn't, I didn't know. And, um, and also the first time in the studio with a producer, so you've got to trust the guy. Mm, yeah. And there's just that that fear of like not not letting that go and not trusting him because I was kind of a few things I went, no, this has got to sound like this. He said, no, you don't want to go there. Well, you're technically you were a rookie as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you know, sure. Now, now you've had 17, nearly 20 years experience yeah. under your yeah. belt. Um, I mean, we just discussed this before we we started recording that you know we're, we're pretty similar age. You're you're yep. turning 51. I just turned 51. Yep. Um, how does being this age and in the game, what does that do to your head? How, how are you feeling being 50 now and, and, and creating music? And, and we sort of touched on it before about being relevant and, yeah. and still having some sort of um, link with people who are listening to music. Number one, you've got to be true to yourself, yep. what, what you do musically, I think. And that's the thing that I've always tried to do is do something that I do yep. rather than trying to please other people yeah trying to please your fans you know, yep. what, what will they want what should I do yeah you can't do that because that's the biggest mistake you'll make yeah so number one I try to do that I think trying to stay relevant is probably listening to what's out in the marketplace now what you like mm. um, so you know and it's different genres of course um, there was a time years ago where I would only listen to Neil Young and Bob Dylan <laughs> yeah and that was it I was, that's what I was influenced by so yeah. anything that was modern music I, I don't like it mm. don't like it um, so who are you listening to now? Uh, I felt, well, it's a combination, actually. I, J.J. Kale. Yep. Yeah, I love J.J. Kale. J.J. Yep. Kale, you know, like that's just cruisy stuff. Yep. Like I have a kind of a cruisy vibe and say so that was really, I've loved his stuff. 
Frank Ocean yeah. for modern, something modern, uh, and even um, some DJ stuff. I'm kind of getting into a bit more. So, yeah. um, and my son, Charlie, who's 16, he's got me into a guy called Steel Bangles. Uh, haven't, so, haven't heard of him. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> I hadn't either. I'm sure, mate. But, you know, just, and he's got AJ Tracy. This guy's a, is a rapper and yeah. hip-hop kind of a, a vibe to what they're doing. Or well, not so much hip-hop, but more rap. But um, just that mod music, I think, which gives you a, doesn't let you lose touch of what you're doing. And, and, and this new stuff that I'm doing now is not so much like still bangles but yeah. you know it's the influence of just having that to go wow that's interesting i really like the beats that he's got for that yeah and the grooves and, and the melodies and things and it's way different from my world you know yeah. so having a touch that influence which you know can sometimes especially with keyboards and synths can bring that into music which just gives a little bit different um flavor and i've always loved keyboards but i've been kind of more about natural sounds but yep. now you know experimenting with the junos and different um keyboard sounds which is just um 80s actually mm. um, but it's coming back in a really cool um, time now with people using um, you know synths a lot does yours you just you mentioned your boy Charlie yep. who's 16 and a half mm -hmm. and you said he's just he told me before that he's just about to head overseas mm -hmm. um, to play Soccer? He's going to an academy of the year for f football, soccer. Yeah. Um, so yep. football overseas, soccer. I know soccer you can't us. say soccer over there. It'll be like you know, <laughs> soccerish. But yeah. uh, yeah, he went on tour. That's pretty big. It's big opportunity mm. for him. Yeah, he went on a tour a couple of years ago over to the UK um, yep. with the Queensland team and uh, caught the eye of a, a guy over there and yep. and so he's been accepted into this um, this academy. Yeah. Um, Great opportunity for him, you know, and big thing for me because he's going to be leaving home. Gonna, yeah, not just leaving home, but leaving Australia. Yeah, how's it? How's it make you feel as a dad to sort of have your boy just? I mean, he hasn't gone yet. No, but um, is it is it playing on your? We'll be going in a couple of months. Uh, yeah, it does. You know, like it definitely coming to the realization that that's actually going to happen. Mm. Um, but I'm really happy for him. I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't be more excited for yeah. him, and I would. I keep thinking of putting myself in his shoes which I tend to do a lot even in my songs I put myself in people's shoes and yeah, okay. write about the situation yep. putting myself in his shoes and going wow what an experience mm. this guy's going to have going over to do what he wants to do he, his goal is to become a professional footballer he okay. said that to me years ago when he was okay. just started playing um, playing soccer he Great. was 12 I think doing that and I said keep, I keep asking the boys throughout you know their, their life any ideas what you want to do with your life? Just ask them because, yep. I mean, they're young. They're not going to really know, but... When are you going to start earning money, paying rent? Have you seen that 7-Up series? No. 7-Up's when they um, film these kids from the age of 7. Yeah. And every 7 years they do it. 14, 21, okay. 28. They basically get them together again. Suss out where they are so now. Because what this guy, the theory is when you're 7, you know what you're going to do. And you'll talk about what, you, what you're going to do. And that's okay. how they interview the kids. What do you want to do? And all of them pretty much lived up to what they okay. were going to do. One wanted to be a lawyer. And yeah. he became a lawyer. And it was really interesting. Some mm. didn't. Some had some bad experiences. But yep. this is, what, you know, how things work. So when I, I keep talking to the boys about what you want to do is to see what's in their what's in their head, what's in their mind. Because I'm also a big believer in that you can achieve anything you want to achieve. Yep. There's nothing you can can't do um, if you put your mind to it and you just write down your goals and you know you can achieve these things. Um, and that's how I've always lived my life, you know. And I want these boys to to do the same thing and, and to um, to challenge themselves and to you know, do something that's that's bigger than what they mm. what they think. You know. So Charlie's the pro soccer player. Well, that's, that's what he wants. That's what he, yeah, he said that yeah. years ago, and you know, 
there's a reality that that might happen. So mm. that's, you can see it. You can just see fate, you know, mm. if these things start to sort of take shape. It's up to him now what he does. And yeah. this is the thing, I think, guiding him as a dad, yeah. guiding him to what he does, how he trains, how he um, makes sure that he doesn't get injured. You know, he has to uh, do the right exercises to, to mm. make sure that doesn't happen. And all these different things. Now, he's got to really take control of his life, his body. He's got to eat well. He's got to look after himself. He's got to grow up very fast because he's going to be away from home. Yeah. Does it, does, it, um, does it scare you that he's going to be over... I mean, Europe's a big place and... Yeah, I don't feel scared no? at the moment. No, I mean, there's... Uh, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the, it's the excitement, but I think his mum's going to go with him for six months. Yep. So that'll get him set up. But I yep. think, you know, he's with this academy, so they're going to look after them pretty well mm. in the way that they'll be um, guiding these kids as well. So... You know, he's um, going to have the support there from... He's not going on his own. You know, mm, he will yeah, have the support yeah. of this team yeah. that he'll be in. Is uh, he the only Aussie going to be in that team? or is there? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. They have had... Because um, the guy that, that saw Charlie play recommended him to this to this um, academy. And, then mm. the, and, the, and so Steve is the guy who runs the academy. Steve Roberts. So I spoke to Steve and, and Steve hasn't seen Charlie play yet. But this other guy... Joe, who um, had Charlie on this tour, and said this this kid's got the skills, and so Steve said, "Yeah, I'm happy to accept him." Because I'm kind of talking to Steve over there, going, "What's the reality of this actually happening?" I mean, I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think it could happen at this age. But they take kids from 16 to 19 mm. in uh, in that age group because they they that's when they can actually shake these kids to mm. put them into a Premier League side, and the Premier League wants to get these kids when they're young. Um, not when they're 20 something. No. It doesn't even matter if you're playing for Australia in your 20s. They don't care. It's, no, they they, they want to mould them. That's what they want. Yeah. So he's got to get over there in this time and that's when he's got the Perfect. chance. So I spoke, spoke to um, Steve saying, look, I mean, what's the reality of this happening? Because, you know, you, you haven't even seen Charlie play. And he said, Joe has recommended only six six boys to me in 15 years Okay. from, you know, wherever. He's always been right. And he said every single one of them has, has been successful. Mm. You know, whether they play Premier League or whatever, but he said they've done really mm. well. And I, don't, I don't know who they are, but he said they've done, so, done really well. So if Joe recommends someone, I'm taking them. So I'm, for the first time I'm going, wow, this is actually going to happen, yeah. you know. So that was like um, two years ago. You might be sitting in the box at a... Uh at a Liverpool game or yeah, you know, some sort of European yeah. game. Just well, that's Charlie's team too, Liverpool. He's, yeah. he, he loves them. So, look, oh, I mean, he's a Liverpool fan, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he played in the Liverpool Academy here okay. at uh, yeah. Lismore. So, um, you know, the, the opportunity for him is huge. Yeah. And he knows that. We've been really trying to get him to understand the, the reality of this now because you are about to leave and go overseas. Yeah, such a massive deal. Yeah. See, that, see to me, that would scare the shit out of me. I, my boy's only, mm. well, not even nine, mm. But I sometimes think about, okay, when he turns 17, 18, and, he's in a, and he might want to go off to university or whatever he wants yep. to do, and mm. a lot of people tell me that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the kids, they, they head down to Melbourne or Sydney to go to uni, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I could handle that. I, I don't know if I could handle my boy being away for four years like that. I yep. think it would... Um, I've got separation anxiety, you know, and that hasn't even happened yet. It's still like 10 years away. You know, for me... Um I went away to boarding school in grade 11 and 12, but I yep. asked to go. Okay. I grew up in a small country town, Chinchilla. Yep. Um, for me, 
there wasn't a lot out there for me. Mm. I wanted to get away. I was right into sport. Sport was my life. Yep. Music had nothing, was not even in my life. Well, weren't you playing rugby before yeah, you yeah, got yeah, into Yeah, athletics, swimming and, yep. and rugby were, yep. were my, yep. football, you know, were my um, sports. So I just wanted to go down and, and compete at the best level I possibly could. So yep. I asked mum and dad, you know, at the end of grade 10, can I go away to school? Which is late, you know, to get, to get into school because it's, you know, some of these kids have booked into these schools since they mm. were born. So the chance of us to try and get me out of these schools was really difficult, but turned out that Nudgee College uh, had a really bad swimming team, and, they, and the coach really wanted to change that, and I was a good swimmer, I was a swimmer at state level. Yeah. And um, so I, two weeks before school started, like we, we kind of, we tried these schools and I said, no, there's no chance, you're not gonna get in. And, um, and my mum's Catholic, so it was all the Catholic schools, and yeah. so she's like, no, there's no chance you're gonna get into these schools. So I was like, oh, okay, looks like I'm finishing my schooling at Chinchilla. Uh, and then we got a call um, with some friends that said, hey, we know their swimming coach. Um, and we've told him that, you know, Pete's a good swimmer. And he was like, I'll get him into the school. So we were like, okay. So we went down, had an interview. And, um, you know, I must have said all the right things. So yeah. I got accepted into school. So two weeks later, I was at, I was at Nudgee. And so for me, I left school when I was 16. Well, I, sorry, I left home when I was 16. Mm. And I'd already made that step. And I was ready and I was... You know, I couldn't get into the world fast enough to try and make those changes and get away from um, where I was, you know, my hometown. And it, it was hard leaving mum and dad. That was a really tough time. Yeah. I, I just, it was a very tough time. Yeah. But, you know, I think the excitement of what I could achieve, what I could do in, in Brisbane, I think I've just been very driven with being successful and, mm. and, and having success. And it was all about sport then. What can I do? And, and, the, and the opportunities that I can get in Brisbane are far better than Chinchilla. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, for me, I, this is like Charlie. You know, he's he's going. I can't wait to do this. This is going to be exciting, yeah. and I think he's nervous about that too. But um, yeah, I suppose because you can you can directly relate to what absolutely. he's doing. Yeah, and it's the same sort of age. Exactly. Same, same concept as going into the sport yep. and wanting to go from somewhere smaller to somewhere bigger to make a, a, a have a better opportunity. Isn't it the funny? Funny how some people's mindsets are. I remember talking to a teacher in Chinchilla, mm. and he said to me, "Peter, do you think it's very wise to go to Nudgee? I mean, you're a you're a big fish in a small pond here. I mean, oh, you're yeah. down there, you'll be a small fish in a big pond. Do you really want to do that?" I'm going, yeah. "A small mindset, absolutely. Mm. I mean, that's I want to be the big fish in the big pond. That's mm. what I want to do. Yeah, okay. So that's yeah, great. it's just it's a mindset, you know. So, yeah. Um, Charlie is at the same age, he's ready to do this thing now, and then that's the exciting thing about I, I, I'd like to see you in another year's time and have a chat and to see how you're feeling once he's over there and he's gone, and yeah. interesting to see where you're at with that. Well, the good thing is too, Dave, I, I can, I tour. Yeah, there, that's true. And yeah. I can go over there you and see him. So the plan is, I, I, won't, I will go over there, mm. and I want to go and see his games. And yeah. Yeah, you don't have the normal nine to five job, but you only no, get for four right. weeks, and it's like, man, I can't that's get right. over there. Yeah. That, so I'll be doing that. In fact, when he went on that tour a couple of years ago, I was over there doing some shows. It just yep. worked out at the same time. And I got to see him go and play uh, against the Scottish national youth team, which was they were the under, under 16s. And Charlie was only 14 when he was playing against that team. And I went in, you know, I've seen Charlie play here, but his confidence wasn't great. He was good, but he just wasn't uh, incredible, you know? And we went over there and, and this coach, Joe, who took the team, was great for him. And this is the other thing too, you meet right, the right people in your life, they will help you yeah. move forward. You meet the wrong people, they will just hold you back. Yeah. And it's up to you to try and work that out yeah. in your life. True. Who do you work with? Who do you surround yourself with? Because they've got to be people that are going to help you yeah. achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah. Anyway, he was um, with this Joe, uh, who's coaching, and I remember coming in, we were over in um, Glasgow, 
Scotland and the, and the kids were, you know, getting ready for the game. And, and I met uh, the coach and Joe just pulled me aside and he said, hey, your son's got something really special. Like, and I'm going, has he? Like, I mean, I, was, I know he's good, but, you know, and Charlie told me there was a possibility of him getting into one of the, you know, the football academies over and through Joe overseas. I'm thinking, wow, can you do that, you know? And Joe's like, yeah, he's got something really, he's got some, something special about him. He's modest, you know, he knows the game. He's a smart player and he's a smart player. Yep. And that's what, probably what is best thing about Charlie. He's not going to be like a, a Messi or Ronaldo scoring yeah, yeah, all yeah. the goals, but he can definitely, you know, set other guys up and put these great balls. He's not going to be ripping his shirt up above no, his head. He won't be doing those things, no. <laughs> so he's, um, you know, the game anyway. I saw him play against this, um, this is the, the Scottish team, you know, and this is uh, played against them. And, Mate, I can believe how well he played. You know, he um, was beating two or three players. He's got the skills. When I, you know, I was playing with him on the beach um, years ago, and I couldn't get the ball off him because he was just too yeah. good with his skills. Not that I'm very good at that anyway. But, <laughs> but he, uh, he, and he was playing this game, and he was just he ate this team up. He was two years older than him, and it was the first so time good. actually I saw him and went, "Wow, oh, he's actually he's he's got something." You know, yeah. so it was good to see that. Yeah. Good to see when your kids achieve things. Absolutely. You know? Even even the other ones. You know, Pedro, who's 13 now. So I think for him, um, trying what's, to... What's, what's his thing? What did he want to be? Well, he loves his soccer too, but yeah. he's not quite as driven as yeah. um, as Charlie. So, uh, you know, I think he's probably still... He feels like a bit like me. I think when he... when At that age, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. No. Everyone else, like, 35. Well, I didn't, I'm still I mean, trying to work it if out. If you had to tell me when I was a kid, you know, you're going to be write, a songwriter. Mm. Um, and that's your job I would have laughed at you because yeah. that didn't come till in my 20s yeah. um, so Pedro's kind of he's just kind of floating cruising and trying to discover himself and what, what yeah. he wants to do still yeah. wants to play soccer and I think seeing what Charlie's done is something that he would probably like to, to Isn't do as well it, um, like, how do you find that having two boys like they're about three years apart mm-hmm. um, is there competition between them there is now there is now so yeah. well it's kind of like a, there's a, they tend to I mean, two brothers kind of blue different yeah. times, but then have a great time as well. Yeah. It's only the last year I found that there. I think the the difference in age, like Charlie's now 16, 16 and a half. Pedro's just about to turn thirteen. So Charlie's now got different interests. Yeah. And you know that's that age that they've really started to change. Where before this, they've been doing the same things all the time. Mm. So they're kind of clashing a little yeah. bit now, and just a bit of a change happening. So which which happens, you know? Because it could be a hard thing if 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 Charlie makes it to where his potential is. Mm-hmm. And Pedro's sitting there, mm. as you said, it could either drive him to go, yes, that's achievable, I want to do that. Mm. Or alternatively, it could almost push him away going, oh, you know, maybe, well, maybe I want to do something different or maybe I can't be that good. You know, well, that that's the be- thing. I think, you know, having a, um, you know, I guess a, a, a sibling who's doing really well and mm. you're not doing as well as them. But it's all about you can't compare yourself to someone no, else. Exactly, yeah. And that, even in life, you just mm. you try, try not to do that, you mm. know. Um, because you'll do your head in, because mm-hmm. there's always going to be someone that's better than you. Yep. Um, but, you know, Pedro, I think it's a matter of t- trying to get him to find what he wants to do. You know what he's, what I found he was really good at, and he didn't do it much, but he came to the... Um, I used to train him in Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was pretty good. Like, he yeah. didn't... He only did it a few times, yeah. and then um, he, the futsal started up, and yeah. then his mum said, oh, we'll get him to do futsal. I'm yeah. going, no, no, this is great for Pedro, because he, he needed I loved the, it when he came into the class, physicality yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. And the first time we went, he had a bit of a... Uh, uh, what do you call it, a wrestle or a Yeah, I think he, 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 he got bumped though, he got he bumped got, in the head or something. Yeah, he hurt him. Or throat or something. Throat, he might have got choked or freaked something. him out. Yes, yes. And we said, no, no, come on, you'll, you'll be right. Brought him back next week and the same kid, he had another wrestle and he dominated the kid. The Absolutely, yeah. And it was just to see that mm. as a, um, and he didn't do it 
maliciously or anything like no. that. It was just like he just thought about it and how to, yeah. to do this. And it, and it was good. Yeah. But um, I'd love him to come back and do that. Yeah. I, I, look, I... I I would love to do that too, Dave, but I'm just too... My knees... Are you Don't give me that <laughs> shit, man. We're, we're the same age. And, like, you know what it is, Pete? With I think jiu-jitsu is just a beautiful metaphor for life. Yeah. You know, it's it teaches you how to interact with someone mm. and how to... It's, it's all about energy. It's yeah. all about, you know, balance. Mm. There's so many beautiful metaphors with jiu-jitsu. And Pedro was good, and he found exact thing. The first time you go, mm. there's something scary about it. It's new, yeah. and it's not until you go a next time and you and you learn what the game's about. Then you go some more, and you learn a bit more what the game's about. Mm. Like I've been coaching kids, you know, down in in this area for six, seven years, and mm. in general, I've been coaching kids for 25 years. And to watch kids that I've coached from say four or five, little boys and little girls mm. who were nervous and a bit apprehensive, now they're out there wrestling with each other, double leg takedowns, throwing them on the ground, jumping mm. on top, you know, but doing it in so a- So you're starting to scare me now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're leaning in closer, you're doing oh, double leg takedowns. Like, okay, well, you're starting to scare me. I've seen you fight. I love and, it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just passionate about it. Yeah. I just I just think it's so beneficial for kids. Like I've, yeah. been, I've been coaching my kid for, in a mini for nearly six years. Mm. I think mentally that sport oh, mentally is it's beautiful. Great. And I really wanted to do it and I'm trying to talk him back in yeah. again because I think he'd just get something great from, like yeah. you said, it's beautiful. It's, it and it's good for you. Yeah. Good for your confidence and, yeah. you and, and to see, because it's, it's a close proximity sport. You're, mm. in, you're in between people's legs. There's, mm. there's faces and things going in positions that normally you, outside of that you just go, hey, this is weird. Mm. But, it's so beautiful seeing little girls and little boys just take it in their stride, mm -hmm. and it's no big deal being in that proximity with people, yeah. you know? And it, I think it's really just so beneficial, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I'll see if I can get him back into that, because that's definitely yeah. something that, you I'll know, have to get Sachi into it when she, she, when she Mate, she will. Yeah, she'll be into it straight away. Yeah. She's a goer, hey? That's what she's, two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. yeah. You know, I've found over the years it's been difficult, because the boys have been such homebodies. I've been trying, like, I love my surfing, I love yeah. getting out into the nature, and trying to get them out to the beach has been an effort yeah. over the years. You know, yeah. we live in a beautiful part of the oh, world here, yeah, don't we? It's so good. And, yeah. um, but Sachi's But then like, every photo I see of you and Mirror and Sachi, you guys are out in nature doing stuff. Well, we are, and, yeah. yeah, and Sachi's like, I saying, you know, you want to go to the beach? She's like, yeah, 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 like, let's go. I want to go to the beach? And mm. she's like, off, you know? Yeah, so she seems like um, a real goer. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of scares me what she's going to get up to. Yeah. She's, she is, <laughs> she's a daredevil, hey? Yeah. She's already got her little trike, you know, and she's rolling down the hill at our place yeah. and just like going for the edge of the wall and it's like, whoa, stop. You know? Well, about about three and a half mm -hmm. is, that's when I got my boy into Brazilian okay. Jiu-Jitsu. Right. Uh, really good time to start. Right. You know? Um, so another year or so, she'll be ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so newborn, yep. right? You got remarried. Yep. Um, and hey, I, I did read an article in the Sydney Morning Herald years mm -hmm. ago, I think 2011, saying how you would never get married again. Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> what happened? Um, you know, I think you meet someone yeah. that that you love. You know, you love yeah. spending time with them. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, you know, something that felt right again and, and we talked about having kids yeah so what i wanted to do was to get married and have kids it's a mm. funny thing i i kind of believe in marriage and i don't believe in marriage and mm. so one of those well, you grew up a good catholic boy yeah and i yeah. think that's part of me that i can't let go of even though i've got this other yeah. alternate side that I go oh, that's a lot of shit in that you know and i don't you don't need to do this but you know i think for mirror she it was a big thing for her mm. and and i didn't want to hold her back i didn't want to hold her back from not from having a child as yeah. well you know so and i look i love kids 
love being a dad. It's the mm. best thing you ever do. Doesn't matter what it's else unreal, you do. Isn't it? It's the best thing you ever do. You know, and, and I think you're similar to me. You you didn't have your first one till you were quite late. Thirty seven. Yeah. Was, uh, Charlie was thirty three or thirty four. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah, I was forty two. Yep. And um, there's something about being an older dad. I think. Well, I think in your twenties, I mean, you're trying to work out what you're trying, you know, what yeah. you want to do with you're your just, life. You're a kid yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I don't know. I wasn't ready to have a kid. I didn't want to have a kid mm. at that stage. You didn't even think about it, you know. Mm. When I got to thirty, I started to think about, yeah, I'd love, I want to be a dad. It just starts yep. to kick in, I think. Um, so for me, you know, I, I love it. I love being a dad. It is the best thing you'll ever do. The biggest thing you'll ever amazing, achieve. Yeah. And you know, I don't get dads that don't want to be around there for, for the kids. No, I don't. I, I don't, don't understand, understand it. it. I don't. I don't get it. And we talked earlier about you know when you split with yep. um, with a partner um, and you've got kids. It, I, I hate it. And it's the worst thing. Why in the is it yep. that one partner wants to try and keep the kids from the other one? It's, yeah. it's just a horrible thing that happens yeah. in life, and everyone goes through it. You know, yep. with the two splits, that's just a yep. challenging thing. Um, it'd be really nice if, it was, if that stuff could be really amicable, you know. But dads that don't, don't want to hang around, I, I don't get it. It's just no. it's the biggest joy. Yeah. that you ever do and majority of my life has been you know I took I took time off I had um, what was it four albums and I took I took time off I think then to about six years off to just spend time with, with my boys which was a long time because we went out of the industry a little bit there and I did, did some touring but I didn't have any new music come out so by the time I came back in it was a real challenge on the last album because there were lots of for example um, uh, programmers that the uh, radio programmers the stations were like didn't really know me because mm. the young guys were coming through going, yeah. who's this old fella? It's this old know? boy coming back. <laughs> and so that was a challenging thing and plus things had changed so much because yeah. social media had, social yep, media had yep. come in and you know I didn't, I kind of hated social media, yep. I didn't want to do that, didn't care about it. So when I came back in, that was happening, the Spotify was yep. up and running, so Spotify was something that was very new. I knew about it but you know how that related to what I was doing. So it's a very different thing and coming back up to six years is a long time out of, out of the music industry. Mm. But uh, we ended up having a lot of love on the last album and, and you know, fan base is so strong for me here in Australia that it was just, it was great touring wise, it was really good. Setting up this new body work that's about to come out, this new single coming out in, on the 26th of June, I think it is, uh, a couple is of weeks. Is this an album or just a... It's a single first, yep. yeah. And we'll have a few singles and, and then... Is the album ready? There's not an album coming out. There's not? There's no. Ooh. We're still working that out at the moment. Okay. But we're, we're not doing... Album's a bit kind of old school now where you just, you know, you oh, can't... Oh, it's passe. It's kind of like, yeah, yes. that's it, you know. So it's like, uh, get up with the times. Yeah, Come on. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you do a, um, you know, song, 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 yeah. song now and then, we, you know, we're still working out what we're going to do. What, do we put an EP out or things like that? We're still kind of putting it together. But at the moment, there's there's a body of work there. Yep. Um, there's an album's worth of work, but how we put that out, we don't know. So okay. the first single comes out in two weeks. Coming into this now, uh, there's and we talked about um, being relevant or even in the moment now. Mm. I think with um, the music, it's funny. Sometimes you do things you don't know whether it's going to work or not, and you just don't. You can't tell with music. But there seems to be a really great vibe out there with the new stuff that the people that have heard it. Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm doing a licensing deal now with Sony. Because Sony's yep. been my record label for a long time. Yep. So we've had a bit of success overseas. Um, in Holland was one place. A little bit in the UK. Um, is that your goal to try and push into overseas a bit more? Yeah, I'd like it is yeah. on this one for sure. Yeah, and I feel excited for the very first time that there's a chance of with Spotify of doing that. So the only reason that we had success in Holland is because this one guy and a few other people at the label loved it and believed in it, and so we went over there and had had quite a you know good amount of success. Um, 
so much that you know you can go to um, in Holland now and I can play I can play shows 30 people 35 people <laughs> <laughs> yeah now we can do we're doing shows over there there was one time when there were some um, bigger acts coming through and I was playing bigger venues than them so you know it's, it just depends on where you're at in the world mm. and what you're doing so that's the exciting thing because I don't know where this is going to end up it might not, might not go anywhere but the exciting thing is it could, it could go somewhere. At least you're on the steering wheel now. You're, exactly. you're controlling it. Yeah. And I think this is something that the general population don't really understand, the way that the music industry works. We just think if you've got a, a great song, wow, you should, should work. I know, but I believe the same thing. I remember yeah. doing an interview when I was first coming through, and I think I was 24. No, I wasn't. Sorry, I was, uh, I was making myself younger. I was 34. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember doing an interview and... and um, this guy said to me, what do you think of the theory that, you know, you, if you haven't had success by the time you're 24 in the music industry, then you won't ever get it. And mm. I said, well, that's bullshit because it, if you've got a good song, a good song is a good song and people will talk about it. So I thought the same thing. Yeah. And but I, it's bullshit. Well, it is. Now it's not. Yeah. But back then it was. Yeah. Because, like I said, when you signed a record label, mm. um, people won't hear you. People mm. couldn't hear me, and I couldn't be played. My videos couldn't be played on YouTube. Mm. They couldn't. They couldn't f possibly hear me because it was a physical product that they had to have CDs or vinyl. Yep. That's what they needed, and they couldn't get their hands on it, so they didn't ever hear about me. Spotify now, you're probably best to be an independent artist mm. because now you've got the chance to. You might just hit the the lucky, you know, playlist that that someone likes you, and and they've got millions of followers. So suddenly, one song can go anywhere in the world. But how do you make money off Spotify? How does, do they, do you get it like if, a cent every play or something or? On the, you earn uh, money on, there's two ways of earning money, mm. on a song, you've got the publishing yep. and the master. So the publishing is the person who wrote the song and the master is the person who, who owns the recording of mm -hmm. the song. Yeah, but how does Spotify, how does Spotify pay for that because? Uh, it's so much per play. So when you get, when you get spins, say it's roughly, if you get a million spins, yep. On Spotify, that's worth about seven seven thousand Australian dollars for you. Okay, so so every time a, someone plays a song on Spotify, yep. the God in the sky knows mm -hmm. that it's been played. Or and you've and got all, all the records calibrated and, you can tell, and calculated, you can, and you can get you know down to the you know like um, the biggest listeners are for me. Say for example, Australia, New Zealand, uh, or Australia would be whatever. Oh, so you've got analytics that you can see. Absolutely. Say it's oh, say it's okay. like you know yep. majority. Say it's seventy odd percent yep. here, and it'll be. You know, so many percent in the states, so many percent, blah yep. blah blah. So you break, they break it all down, and they yep. go, "This is where," and you, they can tell you what cities yep. you're um, being played in. Like, how many people are listening to you in, in a city? Like, how can many they, people? Can I tell you what demographic as well? Yep, yep, the whole thing. Yep. So, um, yeah, I've got. Show you quickly. Not that the people out there can see this, but you he's, can he's, edit he's, this out. <laughs> he's, he's busting out the phone just to show me what's going on. So this is basically um, 302 people listening to me right now. Okay, so they're listening right now. Right now. Okay, and so we go through all this stuff, audience, listeners. So you just can go through all this stuff. Where is it? Okay, their gender. Yep. So forty-six female, fifty-one male, one percent non-binary, <laughs> two not spe specified. Yep. Uh, so it has a list of age groups. Here you go. So under eighteen is two percent. It's not much. Come on, you've got to get with those young kids. Oh, I know. 18, 22, 13%. 23, 27, 28 to 34 is kind of the biggest there. And so basically from, from early 20s to, to, 20 to 40s, 40s yep. uh, as my main. 
and demographic. and does that prove true with your live gigs as well? Uh, yeah, it does. Did you say that's yeah, probably, yeah. The, probably the same. It is. Yeah, yep, pretty much. Yep. And you, you'll see, um, starting to see some, you know, twenty-year-old, twenty-year-olds um, coming to the show now, mm. uh, because it's. I think it's been handed down by their parents or the, by their elder mm. brothers and sisters. Yeah. Well, my my boy listens to Pink Floyd and mm. ACDC yep. and all that sort of stuff in yeah. the car. He'll say, "Dad, can you can you play, you know, the yep. Who?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, put it on." And that's right. And just and that's me, the beauty of music, yeah. isn't it? Just it's kind unreal. of transfers down, yeah. down the ages. So. Music through the ages, you're 50, 51 soon. Can you still see yourself at 70 doing a uh, Mick Jagger and being on stage and rocking out? Yeah, that's my goal. Yeah, really? I, okay. I do. I want to keep playing live and I'd love to just really enjoy that. And yes. that's, people used to give the the Stones a hard time. It was like, you know. I think it's great. Same here. I think it's so good. It's like these guys, are, and, they, and everyone seems to make it about the money. Oh, what are you doing this for the money? And it's no. like the Stones are going, why would you want to stop doing this? Yeah. This is great fun. We love playing music. They're not playing as well as they used to, no. but they're having a great time. Do you think part of it, though, and I'm sure it, everyone's different, there's there's a certain amount of, and, and I spoke about this in my, my last podcast I did with my, my friend Sue, who was the penthouse pet. She's yep. approaching 60 now. She mm -hmm. used to be on stage dancing and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff, and there's an ego involved in that, and, mm -hmm. you, and there's a rush, and there's a buzz, and there's something that that crowd gives you, and to retire from that, is, is to lose a big part of mm. what your life is. Yeah. Um, you know, do you think that would come into play? Uh, well, I, I hope it doesn't. You yeah. know, that, like I said, that's my goal is to continue to keep playing live and, yeah. and to have music that is, um, that doesn't sort of uh, date. Yeah. You know, if you think if you've got something, look, I mean, you look at Neil Young, Bob Dylan, those guys still playing shows. Yeah. The songs and the lyrics are still relevant today yeah, as they absolutely. were years ago. So yeah. you're not coming in, and I, and I don't come in, and um, I'm not a fad. You know, you don't come in and with like a lot of acts do. You know, come in. It's like everyone follows a certain thing that's mm. successful, and you got all these followers, and then it's all big for the for a year or two years, and the next thing comes in, and then there's all these followers mm. again. I always try to be unique as I possibly can. I don't think anyone else sounds like me. I try to keep that, mm. um, whether that's successful or not. You know, it's still. You got to be unique, you yep. know, yep. and and have your um, your own sound, and that's the, the biggest thing. Mm. Once you start sounding like someone else, it's uh, it's a tricky thing. It's nice to be compared to people, and yep. I get compared to like roughly like you know Jack Johnson. Mm. Um, yeah, it's got some it's got stuff. that little it's, vibe, yeah. And yep. my voice is kind of a little yep. bit like that too. Yep. But you know, there's um, it, I'm definitely not like Jack. You know, yep. Jack's amazing. He's he's fantastic. Um, he's very acoustic, and that's his, his feel yep. is that surf kind of acoustic yep. stuff. Um, and I, I've had influences for, like I said, Neil, Neil Young, Bob Dylan. I love Pearl Jam early, early days, and yeah, there's, yeah, there's a bit of a yeah. rock thing yeah. going on with me yeah. too. I like that. I love the electric guitar. Well, remember, remember when Pearl Jam? When it, he's got that voice, yep. you know. And then there was a time Creed. When, yeah, everyone Sang, came out with uh, the same voice. Well, Nick Tadia, who's a, a producer, um, Nick's and actually became a citizen the other day. He's an American producer. Okay. Did a lot of work with Powderfinger, yep. and he lives now locally. Yep. Um, probably another guy you should talk to. Yeah, he's worked with Pearl Jam, um, Rage Against the Machine. He's worked with all the big acts. Yep. He worked with a guy called Brendan O'Brien, who was a big producer over there. So Nick was kind of working with him the whole time. Yep. Does, does his with does his stuff with uh, Powderfinger. He's made them really successful. So Nick um, is friends with uh, Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam, you know. And so he remembers at a time when. 
Creed guy, and that guy was, yeah. I, I think, a bit of a knob too, to be honest. With you. <laughs> uh, and all these other guys did start to sound like Eddie. Yeah, sound exactly like, like Eddie. You're another guy. <laughs> and uh, so Eddie uh, sort of had a chat with with um, Nick uh, and Brennan and O'Brien about he should change his style of singing because all these he didn't want to associate with these guys you know yeah. and they were like well we, you can't and they even, even tried to try, try and change it you know but you can't you got to do that you know yeah. whoever follows you that's what they're going to do yeah but they were unique for their time pearl jam and i mean it's a form of flattery isn't it in a way of it's, course yes yeah. imitation is flattery yeah so you know that's what it is but like i yeah. said you just got to try and stay stay true to yourself and what you do and yeah. hopefully um the music will remain timeless and and um, you know there'll always be a crowd there for me um here anyway in australia that we can kind of do those shows because it's fun mm. i love i love playing music you know yeah. with with a band i love playing with a band yeah hopefully soon this um COVID stuff sort of is just a distant memory and we get back to having some good live music it's actually interesting for me doing this new music now because normally we'll put a single out and we'll tour mm. Media everywhere you go, you're doing interviews around mm. the place. You know whether it's you know the cities, regional areas. So mm. everyone hears about it. You go to the radio stations as you're touring around and just keep talking about mm. it. It's the publicity, mm. and that's what helps build it. So this time we can't do that. No. So, um, and I kind of feel quite really exposed in the way that the music, this new music, has to stand up on its own now, because I can't just do that. Um, I could do some interviews, of course, but we're not touring it. So. Um, media uh you can't just get go to media all the time and go hey here's my new single and i want to do this uh, if they if you're touring then they've got something else to talk about yeah. the media is you know this saturated with everything so then yeah. you've got to have some sort of story to go to them um so this time we can't we we're relying heavily on on the public or well, i'm relying heavily on the public to and social media yeah and social media yeah. And yeah. spotify yeah. itunes all these these um, platforms now that will play your song and get it onto playlists and hopefully yeah. people will go that's cool. Who's that? You know, that's, mm. and then you start to sort of spread from there. So. Yeah. Who knows? We, you know, I guess I'll tell you in twelve months' time. Yeah. <laughs> this has been another episode of the Bold and the Beautiful podcast. Yeah, Bella has left the building. <laughs>